Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Matthew Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. I love when worship lines up with what I'm preaching about. You know, each one of those songs was like, oh my gosh, Jerry, you read my notes, but no, he didn't. Right, Jerry, you picked those songs. We didn't collaborate, but the Holy Spirit works. And when I'm sitting there and I hear these songs being played and they're lining up with the scripture that God has laid on my heart, I go, Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are so good that you would that you would, you know, have providence in all of this and, and, and line us up to prepare our hearts to receive what you would want us to hear this morning. It's so good. He's so good. Amen. Amen. At this time, we'll see the tithes and offerings. I'm so tired of telling you how to give. You know you can give on the website. You know you can give on that little black box. But what I really want to say is that God is moving in major ways in this church. And if if you're not aware of it, open up your eyes. Come around more. Come on campus during the week. You'll see what God is doing. We had 60 kids consistently at youth group, right? We have over 40, 50 kids in children's church. Right. Celebrate recovery. There were and it's not a numbers game. Right. It's our effectiveness is not by the numbers, but we can see how the spirit is drawing people to this church, to this campus, to this community, this family. And why do they come? Why do they tell their friends to come? Because they come on Sunday and they meet you and they see the light of Christ in you. They see the love of Christ in each and every one of you. And they go, I want to be a part of that. And that's what it's all about. And that's in direct correlation to your giving, to your investing, to your belief in what we're doing here. So thank you so much. Let's pray over these tithes and offerings. Thank you, Lord, for your provisions. Thank you that every breath is of you. Thank you that you've created all this, that you sustain all of this, and that you reconcile all of this. We give now with cheerful hearts, with joyful hearts, with expectant hearts. We pray to see your hand move in this church and in this valley, Lord. We want to do the hard things, the hard things for your goodwill and purpose. We're ready, Lord. We're poised. And with you, we know that we can make an impact. We can change the lives of those who do not yet know you. We can speak truth into those who are seeking. We can sow forgiveness where there is none, Lord. Help us. Help us to be better stewards of these finances, of our spiritual gifts, of the opportunities. Help us to know when you're opening a door to speak the gospel to someone. Help us to step into your fullness so that we can better advance who you are and what you have done for us. We love you so much, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. At the beginning of the month, I spoke about planning and making resolutions in light of the new year. Do you guys remember that? It was, I think it was January 2nd, 1st. So, right, so it's really nice that I get to kind of bookend this month and check in with you. We discussed how we should plan in light of and resolve to hope in the Lord for all of our things that we want. We learned that hope of this new year was not found in the changing of a date or or life circumstances or even in the resolve to better one of our life situations. We found that hope is not an emotion, but hope is a man, Jesus, our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. Within that resolution to hope only in him, I also charged us as a church 
in addition to our own personal resolutions, to work out our fear, work out our faith with fear and trembling. I encourage us to grow in our faith through biblical practices, prayer, Bible study, worshiping, fasting, service, and many other ways. And I also said that we need to come together even tighter as a church family. Do you remember that? Were you here for that? Well, it's the end of the month. How's everybody doing with that stuff? How are you doing on your resolutions? You didn't think I was going to check in on you, huh? How are you walking out your faith? How is your prayer life, your devotions, your worship? How is your participation in the body of Christ going? Are you still strong with the Christmas spirit burning inside your heart? Or has your zeal for the Lord faded away, fizzled out as life and work and, and the fallenness of the world starts to once more demand every ounce of your thought and your time and your being? Have you failed and given up on the changes you had hoped to make in your life? I'm honestly not trying to convict anybody. Seriously, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to convict anyone. I'm just checking in with all of you, right? That's what a pastor does. I'm just checking in, checking in with my family. And personally, my faith is being tested every day. And my resolve to change for the better has been replaced at times with depression, with hopelessness. You know, I'm a little ashamed at how it's, you know, it's only been four weeks. And already the world is, is winning. And if you too find yourself far from your resolutions, distanced from the hope of Christ, if you find yourself wavering in the things you want to do in your heart, but you can't find the time. I want to read my Bible, but... You know, I, I need to get into prayer, but, right, the flesh is loud. The flesh is loud. I'm hungry, feed me. I'm bored, entertain me, right? The flesh, we know the flesh and the spirit goes, I'd really like to get into the word. Be quiet, I'm hungry. You know, I'd really, I'd really like to get to that worship night. No, we don't have time for that. You have a deadline, Right? And the flesh drowns out the things of the spirit. You know what I'm talking about because inside you want to do these things of God. And yet the flesh wins. If that's you, I want to offer some encouragement this morning. I want to offer some direction and some spiritual truth that I believe will help all of us to walk and be more like Christ. You guys want that this morning? All right. I want us to come into the fullness of Christ. After all, it's only January 30th, right? There's still time. Persevere. Stay strong. Trust and hope in the Lord in all things. All right? Let's let's do this. You know, for the past few weeks now, Pastor Jim has been talking about the churches in Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation. The Apostle John is told to record what he sees and hears and then deliver that message to the seven churches Each church is revealed in the light of Christ to be working in perseverance and faith. Jesus says you're doing it. You're working in perseverance. You're working in faith. Yet, Christ has something more for each of them. He says, I see your good work, but I have this against you. He says, I see your faithfulness, but I want more from you. You know, and some people read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and they think, man, I'm glad I'm not that church, right? They go, they compare themselves and then they start to judge accordingly. 
But when I personally read the churches of Revelation, I see myself in every one of those churches. Sharing in their strengths, but also in their weaknesses. I see, here it is, I see Cornerstone. I see our church in the seven churches. I see us as the same as all seven churches. In both their deeds, their good deeds, and in their shortcomings. What do I mean? I mean, I see, I look at you and I see your work. I see your perseverance. I see our faithfulness, our dedication to speaking biblical truth. I see our deeds and our love. But I also see when we're lukewarm. I see when we're tolerant for the sake of peace. Peace. I see us divided over petty worldly issues. I see us slow to exhort each other or speak truth into each other's lives for fear of offending. I see us afraid to share the gospel message in certain situations. And I see when we put the things of this world before God, also known as idols. If we are honest this morning, Jesus' message through John to the seven churches is also a message for Cornerstone. And the timing of all these things is closer now than ever before. The time is now. So how do we change? How do we change? How do we fix these things about ourselves and our church? I want so badly to change, right? Why is it so hard? All my will, all my desires to change. Why is it so hard? Why does it seem impossible to keep these resolutions? Why does it seem impossible to change? So as I, as I was praying and fasting this last month, I thought about that question. How do I change these things about myself? How do I change these things about my church, our church? So I asked several people what they thought. I asked them how they're trying to change, how they're trying to be more like Christ. I asked them about their resolutions and how that was coming. And you know, the most surprising answers, they gave me insight that I wasn't expecting. It gave me insight and it led me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. So if you want to start turning there, and as you find it, I want to give you some historical and cultural background when it comes to this letter. You see, if we're to understand what a letter is, we have to understand the circumstances that are surrounding the letter. Right? We, can't, we can open up scripture and the Holy Spirit illuminates that for us, but when we, when we know the historical and cultural Things surrounding it, we can much better understand. Now, Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. And together with the Thesians and Philippians and Philemon, Colossians is known as one of the prison epistles. Why? Because Paul wrote it while he was in prison. Right? He wrote those four while he was in prison. Although Paul does not mention where he is writing from, tradition holds that he's most likely writing from Rome around 60, 61 A.D., now, this is only 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So if anyone ever tells you, like, oh, this stuff was written thousands of years after, 30 years, Paul's writing and encouraging the Colossian church. Acts chapter 27 tells us that Luke was with Paul in Rome. Did you know that? Luke's with him. Paul's in prison in Rome, and Luke's there, right? I just thought that was a fun fact. Now, Colossae was settled in a river valley, In Phrygia, it was next to Laodicea and about 100 miles from Ephesus. Colossus 
was not considered a city of great importance. It was, it was usurped by Laodicea and Ephesus. Those were the big cities. Colossae, eh. By worldly standards, it wasn't very important. And in fact, it was destroyed completely by an earthquake in the mid-60s AD. As an apostle, Paul fights in his ministry for the universal gospel, battling for those he knows personally and those who are in the body of Christ that he has never met. Do you ever feel like you're little importance to this world? Like you're just a little town that doesn't really have much influence or, or much purpose? The world doesn't care. But we ourselves, the things we do in faith, they have greater importance than we will ever know. They have greater impact. And both the good and bad things that we do that are seen by those who are around us and those that are not around us have an amazing impact on the body of Christ. Have you ever really thought about that? The things that you do affect the entire church, not just Cornerstone, but the church, the body of Christ. The people that see you every day and the people that will never meet you, you have an effect on them as a member of the body of Christ. And Paul knows this, right? So he goes after this little seemingly small and insignificant church in a little town. But he knows how great the importance is to the body of Christ, right? The world goes, ah, Colossae. But Paul's like, no, Colossae. I have to speak to them. I have to encourage them. I have to uplift them. And Paul is writing to build up the faith of the Colossian church. During this time, there's a philosophy floating around the city, right? There's this prevailing false understanding, and it's undermining the supremacy of Christ. It's undermining the absoluteness of Christ's salvation through him alone. Some are teaching that more is required. Some are teaching that more is required. It's Jesus plus more is required for spiritual fullness, right? Things like extra rituals or stricter religious practices, magical or mystical experiences to validate your fullness in Christ, and even additional spiritual advisors or beings outside of Christ that are to aid you in gaining your salvation and your fullness, right? Completeness and well-being is what they were saying. New age thinking isn't that new, if you know that, right? Right? So Paul wants to assure them of the certainty of their faith. And he wants to encourage them in their thanksgiving for all that God has done for them. All that God has done with them, for them, without any of these false prevailing extra requirements. Right? It's Christ alone. You see now how knowing some of the background about this letter can help illuminate its meaning? So I want you to hold on to all these things. Hold on to this cultural and historical teaching as we read together Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. So follow along with me, starting in verse 1. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not yet met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by, by fine-sounding arguments. 
For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were all taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which, deep, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ, with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by way of the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This letter is Paul's rebuttal against the false philosophies circulating within the church at Colossae. In verse 2, Paul states his goal, which we've already discussed, to encourage, to unite in love, and to bring understanding so that they and us may know the mystery of God. And the mystery is Christ Jesus. Right? There's no magical, mystical experience that we need. We only need Jesus. He's the mystery. He's the fullness. He's the knowing. He's the everything. Paul wants us to know Christ. He wants us to know that Christ is sufficient, not just for salvation, but for complete spiritual fullness and well-being, for everything. Simply put, Christ alone is enough for everything that we need. I wrote amen, but you did it for me, Rocky. Thanks. <laughs> Christ is the one whom all things were created, through whom all things are sustained, and through whom all things will be reconciled back to himself. Not only is he the head of the church, but he is head over every power and principality and authority in heaven and on earth. This understanding, knowing this mystery, will help to foster within the church the true knowledge of God's plan for the world. It is the true knowledge of Christ that unlocks the deep things of God, the deeper things of God, right? The divine truths, the wisdom, and the answer to life, true life, and the key to gain access to that. Go back for a moment to verse four. Look at it again. Paul tells us this so that no one may deceive us, right? This is important. He's giving us truth because he knows people are going to try to take that truth and pervert that truth. Are you looking for life? Are you looking for spiritual wisdom, for truth, for comfort? Yes, of course, we all are. 
but it cannot be found in anything except Christ Jesus. Do not be deceived. It is not some external object, right? It is not some enlightened way of thinking. It is not anyone but Christ who brings those adopted by faith and grace into the fullness of himself. Anyone who tells you differently is only deceiving themselves and anybody who listens to them. Be warned. But hey, church, I have this against you, says the Lord. You are seeking comfort and wisdom and truth from outside sources. You are seeking truth and comfort and wisdom from outside sources. Before you say, no, I'm not. I want to remind you that your own thoughts and your own mind is an outside source. Our minds tell us that we are not good enough, that we need to change so much before, so much about ourselves before we can accept and be loved by God. The truth, Paul just told us, nothing but Christ. And he already loves you more than anything. He loves you more than anything you could earn or anything you could change or anything you could do. That's the truth. And sometimes it's our own minds. It's our own minds that are our greatest deceiver. Isn't that crazy to think about? No, don't think about it, right? No. Verse 5, again, the things we do impact the body of Christ for those that are present among us and those who are out of sight. We are one in spirit. And each church plays an important and a crucial role within the body. Realize your impact and take seriously the call that has been placed on your life, on your community, on your church family. Take it seriously. It's more than just you. Encourage, unite, and understand. John didn't personally know everyone in the seven churches of Revelation, right? But Christ does. Christ knows us. He knows you. Because of this, understanding who Christ is, you gave your life to him. Verse 6, you received him as Lord. Therefore, continue to live your lives in him. How many do we know that proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior and then go off on their life doing whatever they want? Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. What's the faith that we're taught? Christ alone. Anything else, reject that. Continue to walk that out. And overflowing in thankfulness. When we receive Christ as Lord, we are also charged to live as Christ lived, right? Pick up your cross and follow me. Following what he taught. And what he commanded, Jesus says in John 14, 21, this is hard to hear. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We're not off the hook. We are free in Christ, yet we are called to live differently from the world. Yes, Christ is sufficient. Yes, we, yet we must follow his ways. He will lead you and he will guide you into his fullness if you surrender to his will. But we must be on guard that no one takes us captive through worldly wisdom and insight, through fancy words and philosophy. Read verse 8. Paul says, elemental spiritual forces. That's that new age stuff. 
That's the mystic and magic we mentioned earlier. The human traditions and understanding that seek to persuade and undermine the supremacy of Christ. Christ plus nothing. That's the truth. In Christ alone, he is sufficient. Follow Christ. Trust in Christ. Obey Christ. Why? Verse 9. Because he's God. Because he is God. In Christ, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. The whole deity of God in a human form. Not just that, but in him, you too have been brought into fullness. Because of him, not because of us, we have been brought into fullness. Do you that are here today, those that have accepted Christ, do you feel spiritually full? Have you come into the fullness that is Christ Jesus? If not, have you truly accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you have, do you love him? And if you love him, are you following his commands? Do you even know his commands? Remember, I started this sermon with a question. What do I need to change to be more like Christ? To enter into the fullness of Christ. What has to change? Want to know the surprising answer I got from some people when I asked them what they were going to change in this new year? The resolutions they had. Do you know what they said? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. No changes. No resolutions. Now their reasons, they're their reasons, right? Whatever reason people have not to make resolutions. Ah, oh, they never work out. I like my life the way it is. I choose to focus on more attainable things, right? Whatever their reasons are, are their reasons. But I can only speak to where their answer of nothing led me in my thoughts and in my understanding. And how it was, a, it was really a blessing, a revelation. And I pray that it would unburden you in the same way, the way I'm going to try to explain this. You see, at first I was judgmental, right? I was like, I'm your pastor. I, you got a lot to change. I know you. You would like hear, what are all these things? Like, right? I'm not proud of that. I'm just being honest, right? I judged. I judged them. But that answer played over and over again in my head. As I prayed and meditated on the answer, I was led to Colossians chapter 2. Let's pick up and read again at verse 11. If I can see. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. He has cut away the flesh. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What needs to change? Nothing. Nothing, right here. Nothing, nothing needs to change. Then what? Then what is inside of me that is, keeps doing this? You see, nothing is the right answer. Thank you, Rocky. There is nothing about us to change. And hear this, only to uncover, only to peel off, 
only to reveal, only to step into, cut off the traditions of this world, circumcise the flesh. But Paul tells us it's already been done. So what is there to do? I am now complete in Christ Jesus, nothing to change. I am an innocent child of God, brought, bought and paid for by the blood. That's the truth of who I am. We are created in the image of God. He made us exactly how he wanted us. He made us, he made you exactly how he wants you. Each uniquely equipped for an exact purpose within the kingdom building work. Each and every one of you has a purpose. Each and every one of you is special. Each and every one of you is very important to God. Hear that this morning. We are born into sin, right? And as we traverse this fallen world, we pick up more sin and we pick up idols and we put it on top of how God wanted us to be, how he made us to be, and we pile it on, right? But that, that person, that image, that purpose, that mission is still on the inside. It's just covered up with all this other garbage. The image of God remains, to seek to change would imply that he is not sufficient, that he messed up, that he didn't make you right, that his salvation wasn't enough, that his washing wasn't clean, and that more is required. For our motivation and heart's desire to be changed, who we are, I believe, misses the mark. Like if I'm like, how do I change? What do I have to do to change? I'm, I'm missing the point, right? It's very nuanced, but it's, Right? All my focus, all my energy. How do I change? How do I change? When in reality, it's going, no, I need you like that. I just need you to lay some stuff down. This thinking, it distracts us from true understanding. We are made perfect by God. And we must, with the help of the Holy Spirit, come into the fullness by peeling off these false identities. These lies, the idols surrounding the child of God within us. I was completely dead in my sin, yet he was triumphant over my transgressions. He changed me. He healed me. He saved me. And now it's up to me to peel off the outer shell of sin, the unforgiveness, the judgment, the pride in my mind. It's not there anymore, but I'm holding on to it in my thoughts. I'm held captive. There's nothing to change, only reveal by the truth of Christ, by the mystery of God. There's only to reveal. Mystery is such a good word for Christ. Isn't that awesome news? There's nothing to change. Just accept. <laughs> if I was capable of any meaningful spiritual change on my own, then Jesus would not have gone to such amazing lengths to change me to life. I could never on my own be fully pleasing to God outside of Christ. That's just the truth. There is nothing to change. But if that is true, why do I feel this compulsion to make resolutions? Why do I feel this, this judgment against myself? Why do I label myself unworthy, unlovable, undeserving? Because I've been captive of my own mind. I've been taken captive by the philosophies of this world. A world that shouts, you're not good enough. You don't deserve anything. By my flesh that convicts me of my past sins. 
my old life that constantly pulls me back into half-truths and self-loathing. I do not need to change. I need to come into you and accept the fullness found in Christ Jesus. And you too. But I will never get there until I accept my full identity in Christ. The one that I know in my heart to already be true. It's already there. I'm the only one not accepting it. I know in my heart that I've been made clean and adopted in fullness to the family of God. And yet still I'm tied to my flesh. Tied to my sin. Hoping to change. Putting my faith in changing. It is my understanding that needs to match up with my reality. My understanding must submit to the mystery of God in Christ Jesus. I have to confess that I love my flesh. Right? I have to confess to you this morning that I love my flesh. It would be easier to change the actions of my flesh than to accept what I know in my heart to be true. Is that crazy? In my mind, it's easier to change the actions of my flesh than to accept the truth of who I am in Christ Jesus. I am captive of the deception of this world. There is nothing to change, only to step into my true identity. But what do I do? Time and time again, I hear Jesus say, I love you. You're doing well. You're my child. Yet I have this against you. And that one thing becomes my focus. Right? My shortcoming to fix on my own, my problem to solve, my obsession. If I can just fix this one thing that I'm doing wrong, right? Then I'll be good enough for Jesus. If I can just change this one area of my life, then I'll be good enough to be full in Christ. But focusing on the change will inevitably neglect the good that I'm doing in other areas, right? Do you see how I, I hone in and I gotta fix this one and then everything else goes, goes away? All my effort goes to that one problem, that one person that doesn't like me gets all my attention, all my thoughts, all my worries. That one health problem receives all my time and my effort. That one family member consumes my life and the rest of the family. That work deadline or promotion, all my mental capacity drained chasing one area of my life. While in the meantime, the rest of my life goes unchecked and Satan laughs. But the truth, when, <laughs> I want to say this right. When Christ confronts you with something, it is not for you to overcome and change. It's for you to lay down and allow him to remove. When Christ brings something to you, it's not, hey, change this. It's, hey, this is blocking you from me. Lay it down. Let me remove it. No, I love it, Jesus. He says, this area of your life, you're not doing it with me. Give it to me, right? Paul says, continue to live your life in Christ, rooted in him, and Christ goes, hey, this part of your life you didn't give to me yet. Give it to me. No, I'll fix it. I'll change it. I made you with a plan. Stop trying to change and just step into who you are because of me. He shows us the idols blocking our fullness in him, not the character defects to change on our own. Hear that. What do you need to change? Nothing. You are full in Christ. The question is, what do you need to lay down? What do you need to peel off, remove, so that your mind can accept the innocence, the fullness, and the Christness that has already been afforded to you by faith and his grace? Sin sticks to us. 
Idols cover us. If we are to walk in the fullness of Christ as beacons of his grace and his love and his forgiveness, we must acknowledge that we are no longer bound to these these false identities. The flesh is loud. The flesh drowns out the spirit, but it is the spirit that sustains, the spirit that endures. We have such a hard time in the spirit because we love the flesh. We have such a hard time here in the spirit because we love the flesh. We need to encourage one another. We need to be complete in understanding. We need to be unified in love for one another because we love the flesh and we cannot accept the fullness of Christ without the help of his church body, with the help of each other. We need our church family. We need each member grounded and rooted in the fullness of Christ so that we may persevere in faith. You are more important than you will ever realize or probably care to admit. But it's true, each and every one of you. The God of the universe took on flesh and died to bring you to life. If you are here today, it is because he is calling you to step into his fullness, to lay down the things of the flesh and to accept your true identity. You are called to live differently, not by the philosophies of this world, but as one set apart. Why? To spread the gospel message through your words and through your deeds, the deeds of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. As Christians, the way we behave impacts the body in ways we'll never know. Impacts the entire body of Christ in ways that we will never know. Continue to pray, to worship, to give thanksgiving, to read your Bibles, to know his teachings, to love, to speak truth, to serve, to share in fellowship, and to step into the fullness that has been graced to you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by peeling off the desires of the flesh from your mind, matching your mind to reality. Christ has already surgically removed these from your spirit. Accept it and come into his fullness. This is the truth. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ Jesus. We who profess our faith in Christ are complete in Christ. Nothing more. Christ has power and authority over everything seen and unseen, over every angel, every cosmic force. Because of these truths, nothing more is required for salvation. And nothing more needs to be done for a believer to come into the fullness of Christ Jesus and the family of God. There is nothing that could cleanse us more fully from our sins. There is nothing that could more fully protect us from the powers of darkness. And nothing that could, more, could assure us more of our eternal hope and our eternal lives and our eternal salvation but Jesus. Peel off the understanding of this world. Peel off the false identity and idols. Lay them at the feet of Jesus and step into the complete understanding of who you are because of who he is and what he has done for you. Church, we are free in Christ to do whatever we want. What are you going to do? Amen. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for these these seekers. These believers, thank you for my church family. Thank you that we get to participate together. I pray that we would heed the words of Paul. 
your words written through Paul, that we would be like-minded, that we would step into your fullness, that we would encourage each other, that we would be one in love with each other, that we would knit closer together and realize the importance that each and every one of us has in here, the plans that you have written for us, the plans that you have made for us, and I pray that we would surrender to your will. And I pray for the power to carry out those plans, Lord Jesus. Lord, we trust you. We put all that we are in you. Any areas of our lives where we are taking it upon ourselves to change, I pray that you would, that we would lay them down and that you would receive them through your grace, through your peace, through your love. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Matthew Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com.